to be able to continue looking at the the grace today we we've been looking at these uh, few verses at the end of two corinthians over the uh, last few few weeks and uh, it's been um an amazing journey really i was going to get everything sorted it's been an amazing journey looking at these week, weeks for me i've enjoyed it and uh, i've been blessed as uh, i've been studying these past this passage and these verses uh, we've looked at from verse uh, 11 finally brothers and sisters rejoice strive for full restoration encourage one another be of one mind live in peace and the god of love and peace will be with you and then there's an instruction here greet one another with a holy kiss and uh, i suppose different cultures will do different things we might say greet each other with a warm handshake or a hug uh, or whatever it might be or even a holy kiss but uh, it's a picture of the desire for the church at Corinth to to love each other and to care for each other and to express their affection one for another and then we come to this uh, last bit here may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all and that's a, a prayer that we sometimes use at the end of a service and in the past one or two of you have asked uh, about this because some of us who've been uh, maybe newer Christians less familiar with this part of the bible uh, have been intrigued why we use this prayer sometimes we, we say it to each other as i say at the end of a service may the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all and so we're going to divide this up into three chunks and this week is going to be the grace the grace let's pray heavenly father as we look at this amazing really mind-blowing subject of your grace please speak to us help us by the holy spirit in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, in a very real sense, uh, grace, love and fellowship, which are mentioned in this uh, prayer here, we sometimes call it a benediction, the grace and the love and the peace, they're all gifts from the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, because the three persons are one God. Uh, we had that in that children's song, didn't we, at the end, that the berries are chosen uh, about God being three in one. So, all these gifts are from all of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, we see at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 2, it says there, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we have grace and peace uh, from God the Father as well. And of course, we could equally say of, of the Holy Spirit. But at times, there's a distinction made to emphasize the, the specific roles of either the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here in this closing prayer or benediction, Paul emphasizes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's have a kind of a definition time. What is grace? What is grace? Well, the word for grace in the Bible is used in a range of ways, just as we can use that word in, in the English language. Grace is something that is beautiful and admirable, something beautiful and admirable. It causes you to hold your breath. It even takes your breath away. It's so beautiful. Uh, it's so wonderful. We talk about people moving graciously, people who move with grace, just the way they are, the way they're built, and they move and we notice grace about them, physical form. Uh, and it's more than simply, of course, uh, nice and attractive. There's an awe, an exquisite beauty about, about grace, whether it's in creation, about how a person moves, uh, about a, a person who's a sportsman, a woman who uh, uses their body in such an amazing way, so well trained, and we, our breath is taken away at the, the grace. With it, we think of a gymnast and so on. 
Grace also refers to acts of kindness, spontaneous, unrequested, undeserved kindnesses. They're also gracious things, wonderful things. Someone does something kind to a person who didn't expect it or even couldn't earn it. And that's grace. Grace is a gift. And the heart behind an act of grace is a gracious heart, we would say. It's the heart not forced or obligated, but it's a heart that is moved with compassion to, to show love, to, to be gracious to someone. And us people, even though we are imperfect, we feel and we do gracious things at times. We're made in the image of God and there's something in us that loves grace and to be gracious. But then we move to talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God. And we're in a very different league. We're in a very different league. We're in Premier Plus League here. Now, God is gracious in all those ways that we thought about. God is majestic and glorious. He's admirable. We've sung about that. His ways are awesome. He's breathtaking in power. He's the mighty God. There's also beauty and creativity about God. We just have to look at the world around us. God is generous. When we look at creation, even though we've messed it up with war, greed and pollution, there's still a generosity in creation, a grace, a common grace, we call it. We could still feed the world several times over if things were shared more evenly, more equi equitably. And God is a liberal God, even to those who ignore him or who don't believe in him. We see that in Matthew 5, verse 43, where Jesus tells us Christians that we need to be like God in being gracious to all kinds of people. Matthew 5, verse 43 says, you've heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven, that you may be recognized as children of God. He causes his son to shine on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? So Christians are to be like God in the generosity of kindness. We're to be gracious. Another aspect of grace is showing favour to someone, looking on someone with favour. Uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, we see how Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. And he was chosen by God to build the ark and to save the animals and to, uh, to enable the continuation of humanity after the flood. Now, no one is perfect. All of us are guilty sinners, aren't we? Even though Noah was comparatively the good man in a world of wicked people we know even he wasn't perfect in romans chapter 3 verse 23 it tells us there's no difference between jew and gentile and that's one way of dividing the whole world up into two groups the jews and the gentiles and then it goes on to say for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god the rescue uh, of the world at that time through the through the ark through Noah's work was not because Noah was a perfect man but because God chose to look on him with grace and favor in a world of wicked people and know himself not being untainted God chose to look on him with grace and favor and we see in the new testament in Romans 6 verse 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our lord so Noah's wages would not have bought him a rescue if Noah got his desserts, he wouldn't have been rescued. But God's grace, God's favour secured the rescue. So grace is favour or uh, it's, a, it's a grace or favour is a gift and it's an undeserved gift. 
It's something that we cannot earn, that we cannot buy, that we cannot uh, earn for ourselves. Now, we can't explain why God is gracious to us. But if we're a Christian, if you're a Christian here uh, watching this and uh, joining with us this morning, and if you're not yet a Christian, I hope that you will become one very, very soon. But if you're a Christian, God has decided to look on you with favor or grace. It's not deserved. It's not earned. We can't boast about it. And there's no explanation of why you or me or anyone. There's no explanation in, in our human understanding. The gospel message goes out to everyone and many people reject that message. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand in awe, grateful awe. And we say, why me, Lord? Why me? How can I be a recipient of such grace? And that, that memory verse that we've got in the challenge, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So if we're a Christian, God has decided to look on us with favour. If you're a Christian, God has decided to look on you with favour, with grace, like a, a kind of a rich and a kind benefactor who will follow you through all the days of your life, providing, guiding, supporting you, encouraging you. Now, if someone like that was had an ulterior or dark motive, someone who kind of intervened in your life and stepped in and, and, and kind of put little nudges here to help you from their point of view, if it's someone with an ulterior or dark motive, then that would creep you out, wouldn't it? It would creep me out. But this is God here. This is God who's decided to be gracious to you and his intent is for your good. His intent is to be very good for you. And so then we look at the next heading and that is the fact that this grace is eternal. It is an eternal grace. And this is the thought that really kind of uh, blows our minds when we try to, to grasp it. Now, let's think about being high up for a minute. And you can see a view there, a photo that Joel took from the top of Newark Castle. Now, the higher we get, the more we see. The higher we get, the more we see. The view from our bedroom window, for example, we can see the garden. We can see a few houses around us. But the view from the top of Newark Castle is even better. You can see a lot more and a lot further over the River Trent and so on into town. And you can see the tops of buildings where when you're down below walking through the town, you can't see. So the higher you get, the more you can see. Now, if you imagine we can go in a plane over Newark. And you'll see even more of Newark then, won't you? You'll see the, the fields, you'll see the, the woods, you'll see Stapleford Woods, you'll see so much more. Then if you get into a satellite, if somehow you can get a view from a satellite out in space, your view of Newark and the whole world will be immense, wouldn't it? Now, of course, we can only see one side of the world at a time. Um, but imagine being high as possible. Now, I've got a few pictures for you here. We uh, A few years ago, 2012, we went on holiday to to. to France, I was going to say Spain then, <laughs> but the Eiffel Tower is in France and uh, Mandy's parents helped us and we went there and it was a lovely time. And now imagine being able to go up the Eiffel Tower. There's the bottom of the tower and there's a lovely family. And there we go. Right. We need to go up high. We didn't go to the very top. Um, I think you have to be very rich, very exclusive to get to the very top. But uh, you can get so far up and even so far up is an amazing view. Now here's going up the Eiffel Tower, going up. There's some steps there. We went in the lift and some steps as well. And then you can see, look, there's the, the parkland down there. And you can see a lot more the higher you get. 
and you get even higher and you can see across Paris, you can see the, the buildings over there, you can see further into the distance and the higher they get, you can see even more, you can see right across the other side of the city, just about in the bit hazy sky over there, you see more and more and more as we get higher and higher. So that's an amazing view. Now, let's, uh, excuse me, there we are, great. Now, we've gone really, really high there. Now, imagine that you are able to get up so high, able to get up so high and able to see all the earth, at least one side of the earth at a, at a glance. And you, but also at the same time, you can see every detail very, very closely. You can see people in their homes. You can see people walking along the streets. You can see people through the woods. You can see people who you couldn't see uh, with our normal human vision, even with a satellite. Imagine that you can see everything all at once across the earth and you can see all the details at the same time. That would be amazing. Now imagine that you can see all of history, thousands and thousands of years of history. You can see the beginning of time. You're so high up, you're so great that you can see everything from the beginning of time right through to the end of time, from eternity and into eternity. Now we, could, we can't do that, can we? We can't do that. And imagine also at the same time as being able to see all of history and eternity to eternity imagine that you can look down on the earth and see individual lives you can see people being born growing up growing old going to school becoming adults growing old and dying you can also see the resurrection at the end of time of all people you can see the judgment day and you're there you can see it all from the beginning to the end in one look because you're so high and so exalted you can see people judge for their sins who've rejected jesus you can see the earth being remade. You look into eternity you can, and you can see countless millions of people happy in the new world with Jesus. Now, we can't see that, can we? We can't have that view of all of the world, all the details and all of time, all of history, all of eternity. We haven't got that kind of view. Now, Alfie, my dog's trying to, trying to see it here. <laughs> now, the only person we know who can see all this all at the same time is God. Not only does he see it, He's working all this out to end good, to end very good. Now, this is a mind-blowing concept, isn't it? Now, of course, God allows people to make their own choices, but he works to lead and guide the events of history to results that are mind-blowingly wonderful and permanent and solid. This is our God, our mighty, mighty God. Now, again, we don't know why. We can't explain it. We can just be in grateful awe, but every one of the people in that heavenly state to come, everyone who will be happy with Jesus in the new creation to come, are people that God has decided to look upon with grace and favour. When? From before time began. From be before time began. Now, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. It says there that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, it's a gift, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now, were you around before the beginning of time? Well, I wasn't. I know I look old and I'm going gray or gone gray, but I wasn't around before the beginning of time. But it says here, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. How is that possible? Because God is so great and exalted and so high that he can see all of history, all of time, eternity past, eternity future in one glance because he's so great. 
and he saw us before we were ever born, before ever time began, and he set his grace upon us. And then verse 10 says, but it has now been revealed. And of course, when Paul wrote this, it wasn't so many years after Jesus died and rose again. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the grace that God had set upon us from before time began was re revealed when Jesus came. We can see that grace in action to its nth degree, to its ultimate, when Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to save us so that means that you becoming a christian was seen and planned before time began in eternity god the father god the son god the holy spirit set their loving grace their favor on you before time began that's amazing isn't it? that is mind-blowing the event in history that revealed the grace was the arrival the saving death and the powerful resurrection of jesus that's the event in history that has revealed it to us as shown it to us and brought it to us in such a wonderful way but the plan was from eternity back now let's go back to a human illustration imagine that rich person who knows your family who knows that they're a very poor family in terrible debt this rich kind benefactor they know that your family live in a bad community with drugs and drink and despair there's no opportunities for your life and this kind person has offered help to many people and many people reject it but this rich person he knows that you're going to be born he's heard that you're on the way and he decides to make a difference to to, the, to your life he decides to make a difference in a in a dark world to your life now you don't know him as you grow up but the gracious person looks on you with favor and even even though you have not even met them even though you don't know anything about them and they find ways to protect you they, they put money into your account where did that come from? They suggest certain people to befriend you and support you. They have little words with people. They have influence. They have power. And they kind of put people in your path to, to guide you, to protect you from dangers that you could have entered into. And then one day, this kind benefactor lets you know who he is. He sends his son. His son comes to meet you. And it's just at that point when you've been mugged in the street, you're being your life is threatened, but the son appears round the corner. He risks his life to save you. He beats off those robbers. He's cut and bruised in the process, but he reveals who he is. And he introduces himself as the son of your benefactor. And he talks to you in such a way that puts no pressure on you to accept him. He doesn't kind of twist you in a kind of manipulative way. And yet at the same time, as you listen to the son, you feel happily compelled to trust and love the benefactor, to believe in their kindness, to trust them and to learn to love and to respect them. Your heart is melted. You believe and your life is very different now from what it would have been. This is the grace of God that's been revealed to us in Jesus. Now, you still make mistakes. You still let that kind person down many times. But even if you tried, you couldn't stop them caring for you. They continue to show you favor. They provide for you. They, they get you out of difficulties when you make a mess of it. But they also allow you to be yourself, to grow up, to develop in your own way. Now, in the end, you inherit their mansion and you live happily ever after. Well, is this just a fairy tale? Well, it's a made up story, but it's based on a reality and the reality of what God has done for us in his grace. It's factual and even better, far better than the fairy tale. God's grace has saved us and God's grace is keeping us 
and God's grace will lead you safely home. You can't get out of it. You can't get out of it, even if you wanted to, but I know you don't want to. There's a song of God's eternal grace. It's Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The only way we can sing that song is because of God's eternal grace set upon us from before time began. Well, we, we move to the, the third heading, the third and final heading this morning, and that is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Savior Jesus. Now, why does Paul emphasize the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ when he could have said grace from the Father and grace from the Holy Spirit as well? Why does he emphasize in this closing prayer the, the grace of Jesus? Well, it's because the Corinthian church needs to learn to be more gracious. They need to learn to be more gracious with other Christians. He tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss. And he says, all God's people here send you their greetings. So he's trying to help them to see the big picture. They're not alone and they need to love each other and they need to be gracious with other Christians too. Paul has emphasized what Jesus did to save us in his letter of 2 Corinthians here. Chapter 8, verse 9, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though that he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He puts it this way because he's been encouraging the Corinthian church to, to give generously to support poor Christians whom they've never met back in Judah. And so he's been encouraging them to, to support poorer Christians. So he puts it this way for that reason. And as we've seen, some of the people in the church were, or people who are influencing the church at least, had tried to stir up trouble between the members of the church and were showing a much less than gracious attitude and, if you like, stirring up ungracious behaviour. And in chapter 8, verse 7, Paul wrote, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul's been teaching them. They've been learning. There's a big difference from the first letter that Paul wrote to them to the second letter. There's been progress made. But now he wants them to continue to learn to be gracious. And one expression of graciousness is in supporting fellow Christians whom, they, whom they've never met, showing love for people that they've never come across, the Christians back in Judea who are suffering poverty because of a famine going on around this time. Basically, Paul wants the church to learn to love like Jesus, to learn to love like Jesus. And he emphasizes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's reminded them of the heart of the gospel in his letter too. He's reminded them of the heart of the gospel where God's grace was so clearly demonstrated at the cross by Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, it says there that he died for all, that those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the key to unity, as we've seen over the past few weeks, the key to living in peace 
is a focus on Jesus, the heart of the gospel, on God's grace, the grace of God supremely revealed in the great son of God becoming poor for our sake and becoming human in giving himself, dying to save us. This is the focus. This is the attitude. This is the core of a healthy church family. And very simply, the way to be saved is to see the grace of God in Jesus and to believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord. The way that we become Christians is that we see what God has done in his grace, in his love for us. Jesus dying for us on the cross. And we believe in Jesus. We trust in him as our Lord and our Savior. And that's why it's so important to grasp the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said that the last heading. It's uh, not quite. <laughs> I've got a, a wrong number here. There's one more. So it is number four coming up. But uh, let's look at how that grace leads to grace. Grace leads to grace. Again, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, if, if Christians are the recipients of God's eternal grace, which is a mind-blowing concept, revealed in our Lord Jesus Christ in history, why then does Paul pray for grace? <coughs> Excuse me. Is there a doubt in Paul's mind that God will continue to be gracious to them? So is he praying, oh, I hope that God will continue to be gracious to you because I'm worried about the fact that he, he might not if things go wrong. Is that what he is concerned about? Well, we certainly should not take grace for granted. In Romans chapter six, verse one, it says there, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So it's clearly a not, it's clearly not a Christian attitude to to use, misuse grace, to think that grace is an excuse to sin because we can be forgiven. That's not a true Christian attitude. That's someone who's not yet got really grasped what it's all about. So we should not take grace for granted. And as Christians, we still need to be reminded of that. It's good to ask God for things that he's promised us as well. That's the other thing. When Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he also told us uh, a little bit later on, that we need to trust our heavenly father to provide for us so on the one hand he's promised that our heavenly father will provide for all our needs and yet we're also told to pray for our daily needs so it's not wrong to ask god for things that he's promised us because when we do pray for those things we enter into a desire for those good things that god promises us and they shape us they shape our thinking our molding as we talk to god about it we can still talk to god about grace even though we've been the recipient of it from before time began and of course there's nothing greater that god has for us than his grace we can revel in it talk about it pray for his grace his ongoing strengthening and help for us to grasp this grace and to live in the light of this grace so paul is not doubting that god will run out of grace so there's this prayer that we might get more grace rather it's a prayer for a greater and greater experience of the grace of god in the church family because remember he's writing to the church family and grace is something which is that has touched us touched our lives but this grace leads to more grace it leads to grace it leads to us being gracious rather than in chapter 12 verse 20 discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition slander gossip arrogance and disorder these were things that paul was trying to head off at the pass and to prevent the corinthian church from exhibiting rather than that he wants to see what's in the passage we've been studying over these weeks chapter 13 verse 11 finally brothers and sisters 
rejoice always, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, greet one another with a holy kiss. So this is what he wants instead. This is grace shaping a church. It's the grace shown by Jesus that is the model and the resource that will shape and change the church to be the latter rather than the former. And it's because grace leads to grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ begins and grows a grace in us. And that's what we need to, to grow in. That's what needs to, to, to develop. God's grace is, is solid and permanent and certain. As we get to know the Lord better, as we get to know him better, as we get to know the gospel better, as we get to know God's word better, as we start to put into practice what we, what we learn, we can and should grow in graciousness. We become more gracious people. We become more restored, more mature, which includes graciousness. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says there, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and forever. Amen. So then, in conclusion, in conclusion, God's grace is his eternal and permanent and undeserved favor to us that saves us, keeps us, and makes us more graceful. Isn't grace an amazing thing? The key thoughts that we've seen this morning is that God has chosen to look on us with his grace and favor. And he did that before time began. And that is a mind-blowing concept. The Lord has expressed his grace to us most clearly in the life and saving death of his son, Jesus. And so from before we were born and into eternity, because his son paid for our sins, because his son has clothed us with his righteousness, God will never look upon you other than with grace and favor. Do you realize that? If you're a Christian, God will never look on you with anything other than grace and favor, even though we might have to be, you know, told off for the mistakes that we make, even though we have to be pulled back on track many a time, even though we, we have to be, um, uh, have to repent of our sins when we, when we fail and so on, and we have to come back from difficult places. He will never look upon us with anything other than grace and favor. We have utter security. So the kind of phrase would be this, embrace the grace, embrace this grace recognize the secure position you have in christ and revel in it and let that grace change you may that grace continue to change you to be more gracious it obviously means that we don't take sin glibly we don't misuse grace at all but no we stand in awe and we stand in wonder at such grace and we want to honor our gracious god and savior the grace of the lord jesus christ will transform us into more graceful people May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just pray this prayer for each other. Your grace, your love and the fellowship of the Son, of the Father, of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Change us all. In Jesus, your Son's name. Amen.